Well, I want to wish all of my brothers a happy Father's Day. The Lord has given you such a vital ministry if you're a dad. Be the spiritual leader of your home and to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's a, a heavy responsibility and a vital one. And I uh, just want to let you know we're praying for you. Hope that uh, as a church we're uh, able to come alongside you in that uh, very great and noble task. I think it is fitting uh, on Father's Day that the Spirit of God has brought us in our study of James to a passage that I think every dad and frankly everyone needs to hear and to heed, which is James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. We're going to be talking about taming the tongue. There's a verse in Proverbs that I want you to consider. It says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Think about this. Um, A fool has more hope for the future than maybe the best and the brightest if he can't keep a rein on his tongue. Sadly, there are some highly intelligent, highly educated, and highly skilled people whose lives are filled with disappointments and dead ends for one very simple reason, they cannot control their tongue. Because they can't control their tongue, their past is littered with lost opportunities, burned bridges, and broken relationships. Their present is filled with frustration, conflict, and discontentment, and their future is likely to be filled with more of the same. Their entire life seems to be a tragic illustration of the sinking of the Titanic. But the iceberg they keep hitting is the one they keep in their own mouths. The iceberg of the tongue. They literally talk themselves to death. Whether that be the death of a promising career, the death of a friendship, or even the death of a marriage. Their own mouth is a pit that they constantly fall into and nestled in that pit is a serpent called the tongue. Poisonous and it strikes. You know, when the Lord inspired the Apostle Paul to describe human depravity, a surprising amount of that description is focused on our speech. You don't need to turn there, but listen as I read to you the description of human depravity in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. It is written, There is none righteous, none one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Now listen to what it says about speech. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of serpents is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So in this description of human depravity, feet are mentioned, eyes are mentioned, But the thing that gets the most attention is the tongue, the mouth. 
Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues they keep deceiving and their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is a central description of human depravity and it is centered on our speech. Clearly one of the worst ways sin manifests itself is in the wickedness of human speech. And sinful communication is something we all struggle with. In fact, our text for today, James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12, is going to begin by saying, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone is, does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. In other words, unless you are perfect in every area, you can be sure you're not perfect in this one. Now, if you are Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, I'm not sure why you're here. You certainly don't need us and probably think you don't need the Lord either. If you're Mr. Perfect or Miss Perfect, feel free to tune me out, but for all of the rest of us who are painfully aware of our sin and imperfections, then this message is for us. I want you to listen to what James says about the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Although they are so great and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. There are four key lessons in this text and those four key lessons are directed straight to each and every single one of us. Now, in my outline in these four points, I'm going to use the words you and your. And I am going to do that because I want to drive home the fact that this applies to you. But don't interpret the you as meaning I don't think it applies to me. Keep in mind that this you is coming not from me, but from the Lord, and and it is to all of us. The Lord is saying to me, your tongue needs changed, Brett. Your speech needs to be transformed. So this you is going to be from the Lord to all of us, myself included. In fact, if you observe in the passage from verses 2 all the way through verse 12, the Apostle James uses the first person plural. 
He says, we all stumble in many ways. And he says, with the tongue, we praise God and we curse men. He includes himself in this problem. We all stumble in many ways, James says, including himself. So even though James is the human author of this passage, what the Holy Spirit said through him also applies to him. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will work through me to bring this message to you, but the message which goes through me is also a message to me. If James admitted that this applies to him, then it certainly applies to you and it certainly applies to me because we all, all stumble in many ways. In fact, that is the first key lesson in our passage. Your tongue provides constant proof that you're not perfect. Your tongue witnesses against you when you claim to be perfect. Verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, then he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Notice that James says that someone who never stumbles in what he says is a perfect man, and someone who's able to bridle all the rest of the body too. In other words, anyone who is perfect in their speech would be perfect in every other area as well. If you could become perfect in this area, you've got it so down, you'll be perfect in everything. You know, if you stumble in your speech, you're proving that you have many other areas of sin as well. If you don't sin in your speech, then you don't sin anywhere. But if you sin in your speech, then you can know that you are in that verse where James says we all stumble in many ways. Your speech is the proof that you've got lots of things to deal with. You know, seeing sin in a person's speech is like seeing an ant in your kitchen. There's never just one. If you've seen one, you know there's a whole lot more. In fact, there's probably a nest of them. Likewise, the sin in our speech is a tip-off to ourselves and to everyone around us that we have other areas of sin as well. If you sin in your speech, you can be sure you have lots of other areas of sin in your life. Let me give you a, uh, just an example. Back in high school, there was one and only one guy in our youth group who claimed that he never struggled with lust. Wasn't ever even tempted. Not a problem for me, he would say. The rest of us were just in awe of him. How, how holy he must be. How close to God he must be. He's not even ever tempted. You know, we're all young men. We're all struggling. And this one guy, nope, no struggles at all. None. Not even temptation for me. Wow. We were in awe. Of course, it was years later that that same guy was the one who was arrested for trying to murder his wife in order to cover up an affair and in order to be able to marry his mistress without losing half of his possessions. It was all a lie. Now looking back, and especially in light of James chapter 3, verse 2, which, by the way, we memorized uh, in that period of my life, if we shine the light of James 3, 2 on his claim, we should have known it was a lie because he didn't have perfect speech. In fact, he was a guy who was cruel and crass in his speech. And that should have been the tip-off, that he was cruel and crass in a lot of other areas as well. We should have known that his claim, he claimed he was able to bridle the whole body, 
But we should have known that wasn't true because he couldn't even bridle the tongue. If you stumble in what you say, there is no way you can claim to be perfect in what you do. Let me repeat that. If you stumble in what you say, there's no way you can claim to be perfect in what you do. Therefore, your tongue provides constant proof that you're not perfect. You're not perfect, and your tongue proves it. I'm not perfect, my tongue proves it. James wasn't perfect, his tongue proved it. And no one is perfect, and their tongue proves it. The only one exception to this was the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. Only his speech was perfect, and only his life, correspondingly, was perfect. But for all of the rest of us, we all stumble, James says, in many different ways. And the tip-off is what comes spilling out of our mouth. Our struggles, therefore, with sinful speech should humble us and be a constant reminder of our need for grace. It's a reminder of the pervasiveness of sin. It's a reminder of how much we need the gospel, the gospel of grace. There's a second key lesson here, and that is that your tongue reveals your desires and determines your direction. Your tongue reveals your desires, and it determines your direction. In verses 3 through 6, he says, If we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their whole body as well. And look at the ships also. Though they're so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a force is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. See, your tongue reveals your desires and determines your direction. First, it reveals your desires. In verse 3, James compares the tongue to the bit in a horse's mouth. And in verse 4, he compares it to the rudder of a ship. In both verses, he emphasizes that the tongue, like a bit or a rudder, is what determines the direction of a person's life. Just like a bit determines a horse's direction and a rudder determines a ship's direction, so also your tongue determines your direction. The tongue, James says, is what steers a life. At the end of verse 4, he says, he talks about how a rudder can steer a ship quote, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. The desires of the pilot, where he wants to go, where he really wants to go, is revealed by what inputs he gives to the rudder. In the same way, your direction and where you want to go is determined by the inputs you give to your rudder, the tongue. Bits and rudders enable you to steer a horse or a ship wherever you want to go. So, just as you can figure out where the captain of a ship wants to go by observing the inputs he gives to the rudder, and just as you can figure out where the rider of a horse wants to go by observing how he pulls on the reins, you can also figure out where a person really wants to go in life by observing the inputs he gives to his tongue and by listening to what he says. A person will talk about what they really want what they really want in life is what they'll talk about. 
This is where the rubber really meets the road because our speech reveals our priorities. It reveals our desires and it reveals our priorities. We talk about that which is most important to us. We love to talk about that which is most important to us. So the question is, what is your speech, your conversation, your habits of communication reveal about what's most important to you. You may think and you may claim that Jesus is the most important thing in your life, but if you seldom talk about him, that is not the case. If someone were to just observe your conversations for a year or so and were to write down what they think is important based upon what you talk about, what would it be? Would it reveal that your priorities are right side up or that your priorities are are upside down? You know how your priorities should be, right? In first place should be God and in second place should be your family and in third place should be your church and it's only after that that things like your job and your hobbies and everything else, all those should rank under those top three, God, family, and church. Is that what an observation of your communication would reveal? Do you talk most about God, secondly about your family, and third about your church? Or do your real priorities sound a lot different? I think a lot of people, when you observe their speech, their priorities become really clear. Priority number one is their successes. Priority number two is their hobbies. Priority number three is their problems. And priority number four is their money or their plans or their opinions or their politics. That's what their priorities are when you observe their speech. And what you notice is that there's a common denominator to all of those, them. The common denominator in the majority of what you talk about is you. You talk about you more than you talk about Jesus. You talk about you more than you talk about your family. You talk about you more than you talk about your church or anything else. And that reveals that there's often disordering in our priorities. Your tongue reveals your desires. But it also reveals your direction. In verses 5 through 7, it says that the tongue sets the whole course of your life. It not only reveals your desires, what's really important to you, but it determines then the direction that you pursue in life. It sets the whole course of your life, James says, on fire. And that fire is set on fire by hell. Verse 5, James reminds us a huge force can be set on fire by just a small spark. A human tongue can light a spark that burns down whole families, burns down whole ministries, and even burns down nations. That's why, from the Lord's point of view, things like grumbling and gossip are not little sins. Grumbling and gossip are not little sins to the Lord. Like a spark, they may start small, but they carry the potential for a forest fire. The potential to destroy lives, ministries, and families. You want to know how seriously the Lord takes grumbling? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You don't need to turn there right now, but in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul describes the three worst sins committed by the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and describes these terrible punishments they endured because they committed these three serious sins. Do you know what the three serious sins are? The first won't surprise you, it's idolatry. The second may not surprise you, it's immorality. But the third should surprise you, it's grumbling. 
It says, don't grumble as they did and were destroyed by the destroyer. The Lord sent the destroyer among them because they grumbled. That's how serious that sin is. It's a spark, just a little sin, but it has the power to burn down that which is holy. As I was reflecting on 1 Corinthians 10 last evening, I was convicted about several things I said in the presence of a couple other people uh, recently and realized they were examples of sinful grumbling. So I sent an apology email to those who heard it and just said, that was grumbling and that was sin. Will you forgive me? See, when you send the sparks of grumbling out into the forest, you better find out where they landed and go snuff them out. Because otherwise, your spark of grumbling can light a fire in another heart that will burn down a forest. Divide a church, destroy a ministry, destroy you, destroy your own reputation. When you've sent sparks of gossip or grumbling into the forest, go find where they landed and extinguish them by confession and repentance. You need to do that lest they light a fire which will burn things down which you never intend. What we say determines our direction. The tongue can defile our whole body, James says. And it can set the whole course of our life on fire. You know, most destructions of marriages start with something someone said to someone. It's a spark. And it lights a forest fire. You know, we teach children not to play with matches. We teach youth to handle firearms very carefully. We warn our teens against being careless behind the wheel. Why? Because matches and firearms and vehicles have small inputs and devastating results. Just a little motion of striking a match and a house can burn down with everyone in it. Just a careless pull of a trigger and someone can be killed. Just a careless taking of eyes off the road and there can be a deadly crash. So we teach our children and our teens and our youth to be careful when they're handling something that powerful. How often do we remind them that they have something that powerful in their mouths? The tongue can be a deadly weapon. But sadly, sometimes we as adults are just as naive regarding the potential consequences of our words as a five-year-old is naive about the consequences of playing with matches. We just simply are naive about how destructive our words can really be, how deeply they can wound, how much problems they can create. We are spiritual children playing with a match. Our tongue sets the course of life. It determines our direction. So there's an application here. If you are not happy with the direction of your life, look where the rudder is set and change it to bring it into conformity with Christ. If you're not happy with the direction of your life, look at what input you've been given to the reins. That bit is turning your life like like the reins turn a horse. If you're not happy with how your life is going, don't blame God, don't blame other people, don't blame your circumstances, blame the little traitor you carry in your mouth. 
that little traitor sits right there in your mouth and it is the one who keeps torpedoing your relationships. It's the one who keeps torpedoing your opportunities. It's the one who keeps torpedoing your ministry effectiveness. It's the little traitor you have in your own mouth that's the real problem. Remember, James says, look, you have this great big ship and it's driven by strong winds. Oh yeah, circumstances are a strong wind, but it's the rudder who deter- which determines the direction. Not the winds. So look to the source of the issue. If your life is going the wrong direction, it's because the rudder isn't pointed towards Christ. So the solution is to set the rudder correctly, and we're going to talk about how to do that. That's not only a difficult task. James is going to tell us it's impossible, at least in our own strength, and that is the third point. Your tongue cannot be tamed by you but it can be bridled by the Holy Spirit. Look in verse seven. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. Notice the emphasis. No one of the human race can tame the tongue. James is a really effective teacher. He doesn't state what he implies here. He says, there's no one, and he he doesn't say, he doesn't say, none of us or none of you. He says, no one from the human race can tame the tongue. He's bringing to our minds, I need help. I can't wrestle this thing down. I can't tame this dragon of a tongue I have. I need someone else. I've been struggling with the reins and I can't control this wild horse. I'm trying to steer the ship and I'm floundering. Guess what the solution is? Time to give up bit and bridle to a different rider. Time to give up the wheel to a different captain. The tongue cannot be tamed by you, but it can be bridled by the Holy Spirit. He, not you, has to be the pilot. He has to have the wheel. He has to hold the reins. If you want a transformed tongue, you must give it to the Spirit. And you must welcome him to put bit and bridle on you. You've got to give up the wheel of the ship. You've got to give up control of your life. You have to consecrate your tongue to him. And that brings us to our concluding point, which is the stark choice which James puts before us in verses 9 through 12. Your tongue can be used to either wound or to worship. It's a stark choice. Your tongue can be used to either wound or worship. Verses 9 through 12. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Imagine you, you know, go to your your office water cooler, right? You know, you got the nice purified water and you 
you know, go to the tap and you, you, know, you open it up and fill up the cup and you take it. It's just sweet, pure, refreshing water. Come back the next day, same tap, same bottle, put it in, and it's, I mean, it's just bitter. You know, I mean, 20 minutes later, you've got the runs. That was not planned, sorry. <laughs> see, this is, I'm dem- see, I'm demonstrating, right? It's difficult to tame the tongue, you know. You know, it's, you know, it's like in seminary. They're like, I never mentioned diarrhea specifically in a sermon, you know. But anyway. It's like, you'll lose them. They'll be thinking about that, you know. They're not listening to what you're going to say next. See, now I've done it. But the illustration here is, right? I mean, can you imagine if from the same tap you're getting pure water one moment and then something bitter and that makes you sick and ill the next but that's the experience that people around us have one moment they receive from us love and encouragement a couple hours later wounds and distress from the same mouth flow blessings and curses James says it shouldn't be this way. The same tongues we use to thank the Lord on Sundays are the ones we use to complain on Mondays, right? Same mouth we used to praise God today. It's probably the same one we used to rip someone apart yesterday. And the one we ripped apart was someone made in God's image. James thunders. He says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. He's saying that to me. He's saying it to you. It shouldn't be this way. It's a massive contradiction to bless God and then to curse those made in his image, all with the same tongue. So we have a choice. Will we use our tongues to worship God or to wound those made in his image? That's our choice. Now next week, we're going to study a number of key biblical passages on the topic of, of communication. And we're going to examine what it means to give bit and bridle to the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to give the wheel to him where he begins steering the rudder and not us? The good news is, and I want to leave you with this encouragement, the scripture says that the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wouldn't you love for that to be how other people describe what they hear from you? That when they are thinking about you and they're thinking about what they hear from you, they're like, you know, that brother or that sister, when they open their mouth, outflows love, and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. I think that's what we all long for. Next week we're gonna dig into how to give bit and bridle the Holy Spirit so that it is so. We want our mouths to be a spring of pure, refreshing, and life-giving water, not the polluted, bitter, and life-sapping poison of a salty tongue. I think for our dads out there, that's what you want at home, isn't it? That's what I do for sure. And that means I got a long way to go, right? So let's begin the process of change where it always begins by asking God to change us. 
Lord, we ask you to change us. Change the way we talk. For that, Lord, we need a change of heart because the mouth speak, speaks out of that which fills the heart. So Lord, we want our hearts to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill our hearts, and in filling our hearts, take bit and bridle and tame our wild tongues. Do this, Lord, so that we can bless and not curse. We can worship and not wound. And all this we ask for your glory, for you are worthy. And we ask this in Jesus.